everybody, welcome to the June 9th, 2017 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the U.S. Department of the Interior launching a 60-day review into the preservation of the sage grouse. Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke noted that the process will examine conservation efforts while considering, quote, the value of energy and other development of public lands. Patty Calhoun from Westward this becomes an issue in Colorado because there was a long, hard-fought compromise crafted, I think it was just last year, maybe a little bit before that, uh, between uh, industry and environmentalists and the government. Is all of it going for naught at this point? I think that deal is dead as the dodo. Hickenlooper had worked really hard with the Western governors to come up with that compromise. They're meeting at the end of the month up in Montana, so maybe they'll be able to craft something. But as we've seen from the 100 days of zinc, which we just celebrated, there are a lot of things under threat right now. Public lands that they might privatize operations of some of the national parks, some of the national monuments that had just been named in the last two decades. There's a lot going on at Interior, and this little bird's going to get run over in the process. <laughs> David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. I guess in some of the textbooks I've read, it seemed that some parts of conservatism would be about local control and saying the states or maybe in this case a region would be able to have control over something. This seems like the opposite, but maybe I'm reading it wrong. Your thoughts? Well, the endangered, as Gail Norton said when she was uh, in her confirmation hearings for to be Bush's Secretary of the Interior, part of being a conservative is conservation. Absolutely, that ethics essential. Uh, the Endangered Species Act is certainly the opposite of local, local control. It is a federal statute that was passed with, with very good intentions, uh, but has worked out terribly. Hardly any species that's ever been listed on the Endangered Species Act has ever been delisted uh, and recovered. It's draconian in terms of how it treats landowners. And, you know, the, the people who live in farms and ranches in western Colorado, they're part of the natural environment, too. You know, they, they have a right to exist, as does uh, the, the sage-grouse. The compromise that Hickenlooper worked out was uh, sort of the compromise you can come up with a, when a guy's put a gun to your head and is robbing you and he lets you keep $25 after you give him all your credit cards. Uh, it was one-sided and unfair, the, the best that could be done under the circumstances. Uh, but I think it's appropriate that there be a readjustment, and I think absolutely Interior will be able to work out something that is fair and balanced to the people of western Colorado and to the preservation of the sage grouse. Penfield Tate, attorney with QTech Rock, also a longtime state lawmaker. What do you make of uh, David's last statement? Or was the previous one one-sided, or is there a chance for something that would be more fair to the entire population of the West, including landowners, energy folks, and the sage grouse? Well, you, you have to start with the understanding that, that Zinke has made it clear and his administration has made it clear that the development of um, power and resources is more important than anything else, preservation of public lands or preservation of, of native species. So they start from the proposition that energy development, 
especially fossil fuels, is more important than anything else because they ran on the platform of jobs. And even though it is a dying industry and we're over time transitioning to other forms of energy, that's where they're going to put their money. And so that's what they're going to do. Fair is relative. Um, you know, the, the oil and energy exploration companies are going to like the new deal they get. Um, environmentalists and other um, local communities probably will not. Remember, this deal is not just Colorado, but it's a number of western Rocky Mountain states, um, most of whom's governors have advocated for maintaining the status quo, but they know that's not going to happen. So Patty's right, right the sage grouse is about to be run over. But the more, more significant problem and policy issue is uh, when certain efforts are made and when certain development occurs, it's going to do irreparable damage to the land and to these species. And David's right. It's rare that a, a listed species ever gets delisted because usually the protections put in place to list them are too little too late. Right. Craig Silverman rounds up the panel, attorney with Silverman and Levis, also a, a radio talk show host on KNUS AM every Saturday morning. Uh, Craig, this seemed like a pretty big feather in Hickenlooper's legacy hat, I guess, if you were to create that metaphor. Does this, A, is it plucked forever, and B, does Hickenlooper have, is there a way for him to salvage anything from this situation? Well, there might be. Moffitt County and other jurisdictions may come up with their own solutions. This is a huge story in Craig, Colorado. Are we on there? I'm not there. <laughs> we are indeed Good. there. Well, I'm not grousing about it. I educated myself. <laughs> this is an adorable species of bird where the females judge the males on their breast size and shape, and that's kind of interesting. you got to love that. The males puff and pop out their chest during the mating season. And I think even if Brian Zinke and Donald Trump uh, go about uh, undoing what Barack Obama and John Hickenlooper came up with, Moffitt County and these other jurisdictions will continue to work on uh, solutions because they really love the sage grouse up there. If anyone had forgotten that you have a talk show part of your career, they have not forgotten at this point. <laughs> this is a very good reminder, Greg. Let's get to it. Former FBI Director James Comey testified in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee this week, shedding light on his view of the events leading up to his May determination. Colorado's congressional delegation weighed in with Senator Michael Bennett and Representative Diana DeGette, both saying that the hearing revealed that we should keep Russia's influence into the 2016 election in focus. Meanwhile, meanwhile Representative Doug Lamborn stated that he hopes we can, quote, now move on from the political theatrics and return the focus on important policy work. Patty, apparently there was some TV coverage of this event yesterday. I could only probably see something on C-SPAN 2. Were you able to catch anything? I actually listened to all of it on radio for a very old school thing. First of all, I want to assure Craig that all the female viewers of Colorado Inside Out are watching all your chests right now. <laughs> and to return to the bird analogy, as the only seagull at the table, if you heard Comey discussing how reporters are like hungry seagulls at the beach, it was fascinating on so many levels, so fascinating that you could almost not see how it could be topped by late-night comedians. From McCain's response to Comey's oh lordy to the, to the response from Trump's lawyer, who badly needs an editor, let me say, and I'm available, uh, who can't spell, can't seem to figure out what the whistleblower laws are, but also Comey's revelation that he was the leak, and also he took some time to slap the New York Times for a February story. It was amazing. I have to say, theatrics aside, what 
Russia, Russia's involvement in this company's election, this country's elections, is absolutely important to our future policy. We have to keep our elections cl clear and clean. So even removing the theatrics from it, we should consider we can, should continue at least that much of the investigation. We need to know that. David, we seem to hear, at least in the, the post coverage, a lot of the extremes. Either the what was said is damning and they're, they're ready for impeachment, or he was totally exonerated and let's move on. I got to believe, like everything else, it's somewhere in the middle, uh, the reality of the situation. Your take. Well, let's start with it. the core reality. As uh, former Director Comey said, Russia absolutely did attempt to interfere in the U.S. elections. And that, that's obvious. WikiLeaks is widely and probably correctly suspected of being a Russian intelligence agency proxy. They uh, hacked into the very uh, ill-guarded emails uh, of Democratic operatives, released them, and then embarrassed Hillary Clinton in the process. In the alternate world on, on Earth 2, Mitt Romney was elected in 2012 partly because the American people recognized he was right when he said Russia is our number one geopolitical adversary. And of course, Obama in the debate scoffed with his canned line of, oh, the 80s are, uh, want their foreign policy back. Well, it turned out Romney was right, and now Americans, a plurality, recognize Russia as our top strategic adversary. If we'd had a president who in 2013 recognized that, then when he maybe saw in 2015, as Obama did, that Russia was actively trying to interfere with the election, he would have done something about it and gone public instead of Obama's insanely naive thing of, oh, if I don't blow the whistle on Putin about this, maybe he'll help me out in Syria, which of course never happened. You'd, this country would be a lot better off if we were in the Obama, if, if we were in Romney's second term right now. In, in, but instead, you know, he put a, he put his dog on the roof and all that, and so everybody had to hate him and vote against him. Comey is, I think, revealed himself to be a very clever, but also very much a DC political bureaucrat who shades things and makes decisions. He's not Mr. Dudley Do-Right, just follow things by the book. He's a political player himself and was trying to, to keep himself in power. Donald Trump, as Comey said, uh, he admitted the, one, the only thing that's never, that never leaked out, uh, that there was not a scintilla of evidence that Donald Trump ever colluded with the Russians in the election. At the same time, Trump, with his combination of arrogance, impulsivity, stupidity, and ineptitude, uh, has gotten himself in a whole lot of trouble for what he did after the election. And what, what that leads to, uh, who knows? Uh, I think it's impeachment talks a little uh, premature, but uh, as, as with so much in this administration, uh, the combination of the deep state leaks of lies and truth against Trump, plus Trump's own incompetence, uh, uh, creates a lot of damage to Trump that he could avoid if he were uh, a little more thoughtful. Penn, there's a lot to react to. Uh, you can choose to react to the, uh, David's theory that a Republican was elected with the help of Russia because another Republican wasn't elected four years earlier, or you can go with a variety of other points with uh, Comey. And I guess my question is, beyond everything that we're, micro we're putting this microscope on Comey and everything else that he said, it seems to me that any possibility of a legislative agenda in the U.S. Congress has been tossed out the window. There's absolutely no attention to what, if anything is happening in Congress because of all the focus being here, whether it be uh, the, the Trump is right or wrong, uh, I don't think anyone has an idea of anything that's going to happen in Congress. 
all of that is at your choice. Take your choice. Take your pick. Let me begin by saying, with all due respect to my former colleague, Doug Lamborn, he's living on another planet um, if he just qualifies this as political theatrics. James Comey's testimony was mind-blowing. It was um, earth-shattering. It changed the entire dynamic. I can't remember ever hear, seeing an FBI director publicly call a sitting president a liar. Um, I can't, you know, understand or recall ever, except for Watergate. We saw a lot of stuff in Watergate, and unfortunately, this is all reminiscent of that. Um, I can't recall a, a former FBI director saying some of the things about a sitting president and the people around him the way that Comey did. What's clear from his testimony is a couple of things. Number one, Russia, without question, um, got involved in and tried to impact um, the U.S. elections. And, and if Doug Lamborn thinks that's a fallacy, then he's probably the only one who believes that. What remains to be seen is how many votes, if any, did it move? And number two, was the Trump campaign or anyone associated with it involved in assisting, cooperating with, facilitating the Russian effort? And that's what we don't know. Uh, and, and, but we've, the problem is uh, David's comments about the president, I think, are pretty accurate, but I think they could also apply to many people around him. When you've got an attorney general who's an attorney who's been in the U.S. Senate for umpteen years and in his own confirmation hearings doesn't disclose meetings he's had with Russians and conveniently says, oh, I, I didn't understand the question that way. Are you serious? You've been on the questioning side of the table. You really expect us to believe you didn't understand it? Jared Kushner, you know, it goes on and on and on. So we are going to have this special investigation. It's all going to be necessary and required. And I think it's going to make it difficult to do much more legislation than, than we've seen. The tax proposal will be floated. It will probably be blown up. Health care will move forward. The only thing they did manage to do is repeal Dodd-Frank and put a bunch of us at risk uh, and allow the Internet, um, uh, unscrupulous um, actors on the Internet, take advantage of our personal information. Uh, but, no, this, this was a game changer today and will be for a while. Greg, what are we missing? A lot. Lordy, I hope you can <laughs> see your way clear to let this thing go. By that, I mean your Trump derangement syndrome. It's ridiculous. If you really studied what occurred, and I had the luxury of being on the radio, watching it, hearing it, commenting on it, there was no evidence of collusion. That's the big ticket item, because without collusion on the part of Donald Trump, this whole Democratic theory falls apart. And, you know, the leadership of the Democratic Party had been briefed. Comey said that. The Gang of Eight was told Donald Trump is not a target. He's not the subject of an investigation. And it's reasonable for Donald Trump to say to James Comey, hey, you keep telling me this. You tell these gang of eight people, could you tell the American public so I can get on with my presidency? But no, instead, it's the resistance on the part of the Democrats. Donald Trump's got his flaws, but there's no evidence that he colluded with the Russians. And James Comey more or less embarrassed himself. He's too cute by half. And he did it before when he was... Uh, <laughs> October 28th, when he made that statement against Hillary Clinton, and then when he justified it right before he was fired, he said, I saw two doors. One said conceal, the other said speak. Who talks like that? This guy is all about James Comey. He's a showboat and a grandstander, as Donald Trump said. 
and it takes one to know one. I'll concede that. But no way is Donald Trump guilty of obstruction of justice for that statement he made. Last time I looked, he's in charge of the executive branch. Now, if he's trying to stop an investigation into Flynn because it leads back to him and collusion, that's one thing. But if he just expresses an aspiration, hell, he has the power to pardon Mike Flynn. He's the head of the executive branch because he was elected, something that some people just cannot accept. Let's keep going. Governor John Hickelooper made a statement by not signing two bills this week and is keeping many guessing on one other one. The governor decided to not, to not sign but let become law two bills dealing with mental health treatment, but protests that the legislature did not make enough room for the expenditures in the budget. Meanwhile, Governor Hickenlooper faces pressure from both supporters and critics of House Bill 1313 regarding civil asset forfeiture. David, now first of all, we're taping this at noon on Friday. He has until 5 o'clock today to decide to sign or not sign or to veto. So it's going to be old news by 8 o'clock in this broadcast. But let's go to uh, House Bill 1313. Whatever he does, that's going to happen. What should he do? Well, let me tell you why I think it's been such a hard decision for him, because I think there's, there's strong arguments on, on both sides. This is a, another forfeiture reform bill. The people who want him to veto it, the law enforcement agencies, local governments, they're saying, look, there, maybe there were, there were forfeiture abuses in Colorado unquestionably in the 90s and around the turn of the century and there have been lots of forfeiture abuses in other places uh, which is why for example New Mexico has completely abolished civil forfeiture and they say we're only in New Mexico from now on we only have forfeiture after somebody's been convicted of a crime but the people who want the veto say but in Colorado we don't really in, at least in recent years, we haven't seen evidence that law enforcement agencies are, are abusing forfeiture, taking property from genuinely innocent people, or using the, the fruits of the forfeiture for Las Vegas vacations and, and, and things like that. So there, there's the one side. The other side is, first of all, this bill is to improve reporting and transparency, which everybody ought to be for. And secondly, it's to cure the problem of uh, agencies evading the previous forfeiture reforms that were put into effect because there's, the federal government has something called equitable sharing, and under its m much looser forfeiture standards, they become the lead agency in the forfeiture, but then they share some of the loot with the local agencies, which evades the controls that were enacted under Governor Bill Owens for how forfeitures are supposed to proceed under Colorado. So there, there's good arguments both ways. Penn, let's say Governor Hickenlooper is watching the show right now. He's watching our live feed, cpt12.org, every, every Friday, 12.15. And he watches, finishes the show. We leave. He calls you. says, I'm still on the fence. What should I do, Penn? I'd say, Governor, with all due respect, sign the bill. Um, the bill came, it's very interesting. This is a bill that I think of the 100 combined votes in the House and the Senate, I think it passed cumulatively on like a 91 to 9 vote or something like that. It was hugely and widely a bipartisan measure supported. Um, civil forfeiture has been controversial for a while in terms of how it's used. Now, I think Colorado is relatively clean. I don't think we see people complaining that police departments are using forfeiture and getting the money and funding excursions to different places, but clearly there's been a concern for a while that it's not transparent, that there's not accurate enough reporting, and that there are some abuses. And I think when you get such a large bipartisan group of the General Assembly saying, 
we all agree from different parts of the state we see an issue here. This tightens it up a little bit. It doesn't abolish the practice like New Mexico did, but puts a few more guardrails on that it's probably a wise measure to undertake. I understand law enforcement would like to have um, greater access to this revenue stream, but civil forfeiture wasn't always created just to provide a revenue stream for law enforcement. Craig, you have a long history, long career as an attorney, including time the Denver DA's office. What's your counsel to Governor Hickenlooper? Well, I've seen the changes through the years, and David and Penn have done a good job explaining it. It's not like the old days when there were a lot of abuses. It kind of comes, to, it kind of comes down to representative democracy versus direct democracy. As Penn stated, I think this passed with an overwhelming majority, at least four to one. So by that account, well, maybe John Hickenlooper should follow the will of the legislature. But where's the money going to come from to make up for the shortfall? It's got to come out of other budgets. It's sort of a taxing issue. You're going to have to raise the taxes. Here in Colorado, anytime taxes are raised, it's put to a direct vote of the people. Well, the people's budget is going to be impacted by this, but I don't think it's feasible or practical to have a direct election so I would go with the will of the legislature and urge him to sign it. Patty, we have a long history at this table of making guesses right before we're about to be proven wrong. So I'm putting you on the spot. You're, uh, uh, if you're a betting woman, where does he go? Does he sign, not sign, veto? Well, it's definitely going to go into law. Whether or not he signs it, I think that's still up in the air. But as we've seen from his previous two bills that he let go through without signing them, and he had very good arguments for why he had little problems with them. He wanted to send a message that the fiscal note was not done in time uh, for those bills, but they're still good bills. So they're still going to be the law of the state. And I think the same thing will happen here. He may indeed sign it, but he's not going to veto it. Well, we're going to save our next topic for our CIO postgame segment. That's always available on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook at a uh, phone or tablet near you. So be sure to check that out as we talk about uh, President Trump nominating uh, Allison Ide to the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals. So be sure to check that out. But for right now, with uh, limited time left in the show, let's get to our favorite part of the program, which is Disgrace of the Week. Patty, as always, please start us off. Well, we know coming up with the federal budget is tough, but right now it's a good thing that the rural Colorado got a fairly good deal. They got some concessions in the legislature because it looks like they're about to lose their train service and their airline service. The subsidies that have been, um, that have been in place for a long time for airlines, especially for airports and far-flung parts of the state, those might be going away. We understand Amtrak is not the most efficient operation in the world. In fact, it's often a disaster. But still, you worry about these rural areas of Colorado. They're going to be very cut off soon. The highways had better be repaired because that's your only way out of there. David. Um, well, kudos to the Longmont Times call for good reporting of a disgrace of the Longmont Housing Authority doing warrantless searches with drug-sniffing dogs uh, of people's apartments in public housing. That's good. Uh, follow-up reporting with the uh, Lama Times call and uh, Nine News also did a lot of follow-up there. Penn. Uh, another follow-up report by the Denver Post with the ongoing problems with the Denver Department of Safety and their um, problems with complying with the Colorado Open Records Law. Um, the new report indicates that there may have been some willful intent there, and that continues to be problematic. I have a, I have a feeling we're going to be talking about that issue on this table pretty darn soon. I think so. Craig. 
Gosh, I enjoy basketball, and the Golden State Warriors are amazing, but it's not fair. It's disgraceful, the lack of parity in the NBA. How are the Nuggets supposed to compete when teams like that can add a Kevin Durant and the Nuggets get, never get lucky with the ping-pong balls? I wish there was an answer for this. I have Bill Walton on my radio show tomorrow. I'm going to ask him about it tomorrow morning. Should be one good one to catch. Say something nice about somebody. Patty. Well, I do want to double down on the disgrace Penn mentioned. I mentioned it two weeks ago, and what we're finding out gets worse and worse with the Department of Safety. It's fair to comply with the state's open record law. Uh, but right now, I want to say the mall is looking pre pretty good. Tonight starts a whole series of summer concerts and events down in the mall. They've opened a beer garden. Of course, I've got to applaud that down at Skyline Park. But if you walk along the mall these days, it's looking the way it should, like a center for the, for the city of Denver. David. Representative Jonathan Singer and uh, Senator Irene Aguilar, both Democrats who sponsored in, into law Senate Bill 17, which allows medical uh, people who have post-traumatic stress syndrome to use medical marijuana. That's a topic we've talked about on the show in the past, and it's a, a good step forward for, for public health. Penn. I agree with both Patty and David, but one I saw of interest was the um, National Ski Area Association actually petitioning the Trump administration for um, increased access to the H-2B visas because uh, in some of the, the mountain communities, the unemployment rate is now less than 2%, and the ski areas are struggling to get qualified employees. Craig. The Denver Nuggets may not have a good chance, but how about those Colorado Rockies? They are sensational, leading the National League with pitchers like Sensatella, Marquez, and Greg Holland. But how about the Denver kid, Kyle Freeland from Thomas Jefferson High School, 7-3, and three, pitching great. It just gives me goosebumps. Talking about the Rockies in a positive way in June. Yeah. When's the last time we were able to say that? I, I, I hear here on that one, Craig. And let me finish today. Say something nice about all the folks that we had to see last night about Red Rocks at our Brit Floyd concert. So sold out concert. Thanks to all of you for supporting it. It was a great time. And the kickoff of our Red Rocks Summer Concert Series next week, Thursday, June 15th, we'll be welcoming ABBA, the, uh, the arrival from Sweden. It's a technically a tribute band, but they are fantastic. It's like watching a real, uh, real band in person. That's at Red Rocks next Thursday. Of course, in August, we'll have 1964, the tribute, the uh, world's number one Beatles tribute band, and then we wrap up our season in September with Get the Lead Out, the American Led Zeppelin. So something for everybody the entire uh, year. If you haven't been up to Red Rocks for a long time or need an excuse, it is just absolutely epic that we have the number one outdoor music venue in the world right here in our backyard. So if you're not taking advantage of it with some uh, pretty economic t economical tickets from Colorado Public Television, what are you waiting for? So we hope you join us, uh, especially next Thursday. It's going to be quite the party. That is all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. As always, be sure to check out our podcast on iTunes and, of course, on Google Play. And we have the CIO postgame segment on Twitter, Facebook, uh, along with all the segments of our program. So if you missed any part of it, or if you didn't catch the live feed on YouTube at 12.15, you can catch it there. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night. If man is still alive, if woman can survive, they may find. In the year 3535, ain't gonna need to tell the truth. 